You don't want to be known as soft. You don't want to be known as small. You don't want to be known as easy to push around. You know, this is a tough game, and there's a lot of tough guys, and um, these guys are warriors out on the ice. Welcome to Between the Hash Marks from the Business of Hockey and the Goal podcast with Richard York and Les Kowalski. Let's start this episode. Welcome to part two of our one-hour episode on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Enjoy. That was the day or two before training camp opened, right around that time period, that Marner called his representatives and said, stop dicking around. I want to be with my teammates. I want to be in training camp. And maybe that was because of what they saw, that he saw in the Nylander situation, where that he missed some time and Nylander was playing catch-up the rest of the season, physically, mentally, emotionally, to try and get back into the swing of things. And Marner did not want to miss any of that. He did not want to miss training camp. He did not want to miss preseason. So he was, I think that's a good, very, very good character on Mitch Marner's part that he took the initiative to call his representation. Well, and it's really quite a comparison between three different players signing three major contracts at, at the same time, how each of them took such a different approach. Yeah, it was like three different ways of doing it's it. three right? ways of doing it. You look at what Dubis did with Nylander, I think that is going to haunt him for a really long time. Yeah. You know, and I think it's going to take a really long time for him to undo that. And from an optics standpoint, it just comes across as very weak and that he can be taken advantage of very easily, you know, whatever I want, I'm going to get. And I think it's a, it's a very dangerous precedent to be able to set to move forward in dealing with other contracts that are going to be coming down the pipe at any point. Well, what's going to work to Kyle Dubas's advantage moving forward is, is that people do have limited uh, memories and limited contracts that they can pull from. Sidney Crosby, if Crosby was to sign today, he'd be a $10 million plus player. He's making 8.7 now. He likes 8.7. That's a superstitious thing. That's his jersey number, which I think is fascinating. 87, 8.7 million a season. But when he signed, it was a percentage of the cap. McDavid's contract was a similar percentage of the cap because the cap keeps growing and whatnot. So as the cap keeps growing, they got an expansion draft happening in Seattle in the next year and a half that is going to change the league much like the Las Vegas one did that changed the salary cap because to open a new franchise, you have to pump a bunch of money into the franchises, into the NHL. You actually have to buy your way in, which, which uh, affects the cap hit. That means suddenly there's a bunch more revenue for each of the teams to divvy out and whatnot. There was a bit of a spike in the cap the first year, the Las Vegas golden Knights came in. So if there's going to be another spike and whatnot, it's going to affect contract layouts because every three or four years, a bit of a different landscape that they're dealing with based on salary cap and percentages over the years. I think we've pretty much covered the three contracts and the three players. Yeah, all of them are signed now. All of them are playing for the Maple Leafs and all of them are doing well. They're yeah. doing good. Babcock is out. We got a new guy in. Sheldon Keefe. Yeah. I know that you've got some pretty interesting perspectives. I think they're fascinating. So why don't you share your perspective on the whole Babcock saga? Poor, poor Babcock. I can say poor Babcock, but he's getting, still getting paid. He's still getting paid well. $8 million a season as a coach, highest paying coach. Shanahan and Lou brought in Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock was very highly sought after. He was the coach of the Detroit Red Wings. 
and the Red Wings had a long history of success. And he wanted to he wanted to move on though. He wasn't willing to sign with Red Wings anymore because that they were having a a passing of the torch moment and things were looking a little bleak in Detroit. So he wanted to he wanted to move on. And he was the the head coach of a couple of gold medal winning Olympic Canadian teams. He had a packed resume. Mike Babcock was probably the most sought after coach in a long time because of his his resume. And he was a veteran, which means you weren't bringing in a new guy. You didn't have to deal with he was kind of come in with his own system, his own mentality, his own leadership. He was gonna hire his own coaches. There's a lot of appeal to that. That means that there's a lot less work for management and ownership to have to worry about if they brought in a new guy. Buffalo and Toronto got into basically a shootout as to who was going to hire him. Toronto ended up winning because Mike Babcock is Canadian and he really wanted to see the focal point of the media darling in Toronto, the central of Hockey Canada. He wanted to see Toronto succeed. They were the hamster on the wheel there for several seasons trying to make the playoffs and not looking like they had much of a spark. But Shanahan believed in Mike Babcock. He played for Mike Babcock. He also was involved in Hockey Canada. He had golden resume. Everybody wanted Mike Babcock. If anybody had a shot at him, they were going to throw him a pitch. Toronto ended up signing him for a monster contract, eight years for $8 million a season. Highest paying coach. He came in with uh, the resume of the success at the Olympics. Now, unfortunately, with Mike Babcock, he's been fired. Now, on the surface, it looks like it's a performance-based firing. Toronto was, I think they lost seven games in a row before he was let go, before he was fired. My theory is, is that he was fired before the season even started. Mike Babcock was not the coach Kyle Dubas wanted running his team. After Babcock was fired, Kyle Dubas blamed a lot of the communication and the relationship that he did not have with Babcock on himself. Which is, to me, that's just a uh, drama squisher. That they, he was trying to suppress the drama from the media, that it was just a people-pleasing answer. That really, he did have a crap relationship with Babcock, in my opinion. But it's because he was a 33-year-old kid running a franchise. Mike Babcock was this veteran coach with a history of success. Unfortunately, Mike Babcock had a lot of weird coaching decisions over the years, you know, that media really picked up on. One of them was the the drama that we talked about with Marner, about how when Marner was that rookie, that Babcock made him write down that list, but it was odd. It was strange. Like nobody, nobody really knows why media ask him now, you know, why did you do that? And he doesn't give him a straight answer about it. He just says, well, it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, which was a deflection. He knows exactly what he was doing. I don't know why he did. Maybe he was trying to squash the ego of a rookie. I don't know. Maybe he got arrogant. I don't know. But when you look at Mike Babcock, he has a certain system. He has a certain engine that he likes to play with. He did it with Team Canada is that he brought in all of these superstar talent, all of these forwards that could score goals, and he turned them into an absolute defensive shutdown machine. All of these players bought into his system, right? All of these superstars, veterans, you know, that played for Team Canada, they came in and they played. Nobody saw that coming. You see all these you know, high scoring forwards and whatnot, you don't expect them to beat you two to one, but absolutely suppress the crap out of your team. And he did that. And it shows that he can take superstar talent. He can throw them into his motor. They perform and they can destroy teams. 
He did that. He did that on an Olympic level. With Toronto having all these hot shot forwards coming up, sounded like a good method, right? So Mike Babcock had this engine that he used, this template, that was part of the appeal. Well, Shanahan and Lou brought him in to lead this young crew of forwards in a means that was going to destroy their opponents. Unfortunately, it didn't go that well. Toronto never seemed to be firing on all cylinders. They never seemed to be living up to their expectations with all that firepower that they had. They seemed really unbalanced and, you know, it's not like they were all steering in the same direction. Babcock never did find the balance and maybe it was because players weren't buying in, but certainly near the end of his tenure, there was a lot of stories coming out that the players had given up on the engine or the system or the template, however you want to define it from a coaching point of view. But my theory is, is that Babcock was gone before the season started. And the reason why is because of Sheldon Keefe. Now, Kyle Dubas, we're going to get more into Kyle Dubas's history. Like we'll just quickly burn over his history is, is that he was the general manager of this. So St. Marie Greyhounds, his coach for his OHL team, Sheldon Keefe. When he was hired on as an assistant general manager for the Toronto Maple Leafs, one of his duties was to take care of the farm team, the Toronto Marlies. He was the general manager of the farm team. That's where he was going to cut his teeth into being a general manager. That's to keep that off of Lou Lamorello's plate that he was going to take care of the farm team. So he did. Who was this coach on the farm team? Sheldon Keefe. He hired him again at the end of the offseason here. So let me, let me, now that we're talking about the coaches and stuff, let me ask you a question as a businessman, because hockey is business. Let's look at this from a business angle, and then I'll use that template and I'll put the, the characters in. As a manager, you have an employee that you have an annual review with. Every year you have an annual review with, and you've told that employee that he needed to hit certain quota, that he had a checklist of everything that he needed to do that year before they sat down again, you know, for the next annual meeting, right? A performance annual meeting. That employee came to you that next year and he had every box checked that he, he did everything that you asked him, but he also won employee of the year nationwide, far exceeding your expectations and far exceeding your standards. How do you tell that employee that you're not giving him a raise, that you're not giving him a promotion, that you're not changing his job description? How, how do you convince that employee to stay doing what he's doing already. As a business owner, when you have an employee like that, there's part of you inside, there's a sense of fear that's triggered. You step back and you look at this individual and the fear is it goes beyond finances. And what I mean by that is as a business owner, if I'm looking at an employee, If they're performing beyond my expectations, I would be looking at some type of promise of advancement or some type of promise of a raise. But if I have an employee working for me who has not only exceeded the goals and the expectations I put forward for that employee, where the formula changes is when that employee also is accepting my way of thinking and is accepting my way of doing things and is loyal to me and doesn't question me and follows exactly what it is that I've set forward, that employee is worth gold because that employee is executing my plan based on what I want and is able to then extend that 
through the organization is if I want to keep that individual in my organization and advancement isn't enough and a raise isn't enough, it's about increasing their personal market value. And the only way is to put them in a top tier position makes you the center of my organization. That's what I would do. That's how I would structure it. Right. So there's there's a big dependency on the relationship between the employee and the employer in that case. So now let me bring bring that explanation into hockey and I'll add some names to the puzzle. We talked about that relationship between the employer and the employee. Mike Babcock is an employee. Kyle Dubas, in this case, is the employer. Obviously, ownership is the one who pays everybody down as the business. But in this case, the general manager is in charge of his coaches. Kyle Dubas is Mike Babcock's boss. They did not have a good relationship. You can kind of, if you have to peer between the lines a little bit, but you can see that Babcock, veteran guy, huge resume, everybody wanted him, maybe a bit of an ego, but he was an old school coach and he did things his way. Kyle Dubas was brought in to be a new thinker, new wave of analytics, a new wave of general managing hockey organizations. He was supposed to, as a fresh, fresh set of eyes, he did not have that relationship with Mike Babcock like Lou Lamorello did. Lou Lamorello had the resume, he had the respect, he had the history, and his direction was different than Dubas's. We can see that now because we got a small sample of Lou and we got a small sample of Dubas now. And their directions are a little different. I don't believe Shanahan was scared of that. I think he knew that was going to happen, but he couldn't throw the new guy under the bus right off the bat. He had to bring in a structure to start building something up. And now Dubas is taking over. Now, Mike Babcock did not have that relationship. He did not believe in the direction that Kyle Dubas was taking the business. And if you want evidence of that, you can see the moves that Kyle Dubas has made have not been to help Mike Babcock's engine, his template, his coaching style. The moves that Kyle Dubas has been making has been in his direction and his vision for the team and not Mike Babcock's. So that in and itself shows a disconnect between employee and employer. You need evidence of that. Mike Babcock last year, wanted a defenseman. He very much believes in left hand plays left side of the ice. Right hand plays right hand side of the ice because it balanced in his system on the ice. He did that at the Olympics with Team Canada. That's how they brought players to Hockey Canada to play the team is they wanted that balance in the defensive lineups. Kyle Dubas went out and got Jake Muzzin, who is a good hockey player. He's a good defenseman. He was, uh, he was definitely worth the trade. So there was nothing on paper from Kyle Dubas's point of view of why not. He was available. He was a good defenseman. He had good analytics, which is a big thing for Dubas. So he traded for him. He did not fit in Babcock's engine. He was the wrong side of the ice. So suddenly Babcock had five or six players on his defense playing the wrong side of the ice. So he had to throw his matches unbalanced. But it was little things like that that you can see that were not designed to fit into so Babcock's you're, So mode. what you're suggesting, Dubas was sabotaging back. Whoa, Babcock. whoa, 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 wait, wait, whoa. Uh, well, not, not intentionally sabotaging, but not caring. Right. That he, he had a direction that he wanted this team to go, and Babcock was not the direction. So now back to that business template that I asked you. You have this employee who checked off all the boxes that you love him, but 
you cannot promote him. You just can't. And how do you convince him to stay on? Because you love him. You have that relationship with him. He's going to, he's carrying the company in the direction that you want to go. So that, uh, so you're building, building things around him at a lower level, but he wants, he's in a position where he could jump companies and get that promotion that he wants to get that money that he wants. So that employee is Sheldon Keefe that we're talking about. He was the coach for the Toronto Marlies. He was a sought after individual. He checked off all the boxes that they asked him to do. Mitch Marner was on the farm team. William Nylander was on the farm team. They had Bracco. They had Kapanen. They had all kinds of people that are playing on the Maple Leafs now were on the farm team. And he developed them. And he was a, a bus full of these players are now playing on the Toronto Maple Leafs. He would promise Babcock's position. Why would you do that, though? Babcock has four years left at $8 million a season. Huge anchor of a contract in a coach that somebody else signed. Now, the common trend between any general manager is if you bring in a new general manager, he has his idea of a coach. And if the coach in place does not meet that, they're fired. That is that it happens more often than not. This is that a general manager fires the coaching staff unless they are super successful. Kyle Dubas coming in had a vision for the team, had a vision for the players. He's dealt with a lot of these players on the farm team, right? So he knows what who they are, what their strengths and weaknesses are. That's why he tried so hard to make sure all of them were signed because he knew these players, he knew their potential. He didn't have to go out and scout them because he was the general manager of the farm team. Now you got Mike Babcock who's misusing, well, maybe not misusing them, but using them differently than how they've been developed, right, in the farm system. You know, Sheldon Keefe was developing these players to in a certain direction to play a 200 foot game but to play an exciting 200 foot game tilted one way like they there were all a lot of offensive powerhouse players mike babcock certainly had some strange deployment of these players hyman is he is, he is a good hockey player he kills penalties he does put up some points he's a top six forward in toronto he's not a marketable name and he's not a well-known name but he is a good hockey player in toronto you're surrounded by a lot of big names. Tavares, Matthews, Marner, Nylander. Marlowe was there. You got Morgan Riley on defense. You had Jake Gardner there. Now, Hyman was one of Babcock's favorite players because he played a grindy, hard-hitting kind of style, which is fine. That's great. You need hockey players like that. He could play for my hockey team any day. I do. I like Hyman. He was injured for, for a little while when Babcock was still coach of the team. And I think it was a six-week layoff that he had. And when he came back, he led the team in ice time. His first game back. You are surrounded by Tavares. You are surrounded by Matthews, Marner, William Nylander. And Hyman leads the team coming off an injury. Red flags. Babcock's usage of his superstars was strange. Why wouldn't you give the ice to Matthews? He can score goals. Why wouldn't you give it to Tavares? He's your captain now. Why wouldn't you give it to Morgan Riley? He's a defenseman. Well, I think even from a business standpoint, the investment that you've just made in these guys, you want to get production out of them too, right? You're not going to yeah. just keep them benched. But they didn't fit his engine. He was trying to get everybody to to fire the cylinder. There was the disconnect there. Now, going back to Sheldon Keefe, his, he won the Calder Cup. 2018, he won the Farm System Championship, the Calder Cup. That's the employee of the year that we're talking about nationwide. You won the Cup. As the coach, that means you were the best coach that year. No other coach did better than you because they didn't win the championship. You did. He was championship winning coach. 
at the farm system level, and he pushed a bunch of hockey players up into the NHL. He developed them. Full marks across the board. Every team was after him. His contract was up after the Calder Cup. He was a very sought-after individual. Everybody was looking for a new young coach. This year, there's been six people. Six people have been fired as head coach. It's a Head coach is a hard job. There's a lot of pressure on franchises to succeed, and usually the first one out the door is the coach. Everybody was looking for a young coach, new coach, new voice, new system, and Sheldon Keefe was the definition of that for many, many franchises. This is where the business aspect comes in trying to steal your employees. So as that manager, who's Kyle Dubas in this case, how do you talk Sheldon Keefe into sticking around? Babcock is your head coach of the NHL franchise. He's got four years, four or five years left on his monster contract. He's the highest paying coach. He was brought in to do a job. There's questions about how he's doing that job, but he's only halfway through his contract. How do you keep Sheldon Keefe in the fold without promising him Babcock's job? You can't. There's nowhere else for him to go except to a different franchise. Sheldon Keefe had this relationship in juniors with Kyle Dubas. He had this relationship with Kyle Dubas in the Toronto Marlies farm system. And now he has that relationship with Kyle Dubas at the NHL level. Sheldon Keefe signed to be the Marlies head coach once again, when he could have gotten promoted. The only way that you do that is you promise him somebody else's job because you have already convinced yourself that is not your coach. Babcock was fired before the season even started. And that honestly makes a lot of sense. From a business standpoint, you have a guy you don't want to be leaving to a competitor. I'll give you another perspective in all this. One of the other greatest fears from a business owner, if you have a hotshot employee, the fear that hotshot employee could become your competitor. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic in business because when people look from the outside in, they think it's just you're making money. That's the whole focus of the business. From a business standpoint and a business owner, I can tell you straight up, there are some hardcore insecurities. And, <laughs> and one of those insecurities is having your hotshot employee being poached by your competitor. In this case, it would be another franchise. Yeah. From a business standpoint, there's your insecurity of them becoming your competitor. There's these unwritten things that are out there. And I think that when you look at it from the perspective, what you just said, the behavior Kyle Dubas had, his behavior to Babcock and how Babcock got ousted, it makes total sense. And you can't just fire Babcock. He needed a reason. He needed a reason. So he promised Sheldon Keefe, wait till he stumbles. He's not the direction we want to go. I'm not going to accuse Kyle Dubas of telling him that he was firing Babcock. I'm not. But the cards laid out on the table there, it kind of looks like that is where he was going. If the Toronto Maple Leafs had another first round outsting in the playoffs, something had to change. It would have been Babcock. So whether it was at the beginning of the season based on performance or if it was at the end of the season with results. Babcock was gone. Kyle Dubas did not build that team for Mike Babcock. That's why Babcock failed. Kyle Dubas built that team for an employee that he had a relationship with that he could pass that torch to and trust him to run it in the same direction that he was looking. And that's exactly what I was talking about before. I think the other thing that's really critical from the business standpoint is that when you find somebody who adopts 
your perspective or your way of doing things and they don't question you. Honestly, straight up, that's worth more than anything you could imagine. Because if you're able to basically duplicate yourself into someone who buys into a perspective that you have, that's a very, very hard thing to find. If they're able to make you look better, I mean, let's look at this from a different perspective. If I'm a manager and I want to improve my value and improve my market value and to prove others wrong, you're dealing with a guy that's 34 years old. Yeah. Right. A 34 year old general manager. How does he improve his market value? He brings in a guy who can execute his vision that not only will the coach increase his market value, but now Dubas is looking at a long term perspective. And he does. He looks pretty damn good now. He looks pretty damn good. Because those Toronto Maple Leafs are finally playing up to expectation. If you look at it from the perspective of the league, analytics has had a really hard time with old school guys. They've had a really hard time buying into analytics. Fans have a hard time buying analytics. Yeah. They don't understand it. They don't know why it has a value. And so when you have next generation guy coming in to show this next generation of hockey processes coming into play and now you're showing proof that this process works they're both looking really good and they're both looking with their market value it's being increased substantially yeah this is a long-term play oh yeah this is a long-term play yeah like both of them still got lots of growing to do and it's it is still part of the shanna plan you know the shanna as the president of hockey operations you do have to let your general manager general manage the team that is what he was hired to do and Lou Lamorello was brought in to babysit and to teach. And now that he has, Kyle Dubas has the keys to the Ferrari, as you so elegantly put. We still have more to talk about. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs and what Brendan Shanahan is doing and the plan, what Dubas is doing, I think this is very critical to the league as a benchmark to look at future template. We are going to be developing a syndicate episode. We are going to be getting into... Kyle Dubas more. And we're also going to be getting into the technologies behind analytics, how that translates what the Leafs are doing into other franchises and where are we going as a league? Yeah, because there's no franchise in the world that wouldn't hire an experienced guy. Like experience is gold. That's your resume, right? Toronto has jumped off the radar and hired this guy who's really young, who doesn't have a very big resume. And it's very fascinating. And I'm looking forward to talking about it. The reasons why he was hired and the reasons why the Toronto ownership and Mr. Shanahan believed in this direction. We've come up with a tagline where the past, present, and future of hockey intersect. This episode with the Leafs, between the hash marks and the syndicate episode with the Leafs, it's going to set a template and a direction for moving forward because it's such a critical component to the league, what they're doing as fans, regardless if you are a Toronto Maple Leafs fan or not, this is really critical to your franchise as well because this is the template moving forward into the future of hockey. Toronto is being groundbreaking. Arizona's being groundbreaking too. You know, we can't leave them off the spectrum. Absolutely. They hired a 27-year-old to run their show down there. 
which we'll also be talking about when we have some cigars and scotch in front of us at the syndicate. Thanks guys for listening. Hopefully you guys have really enjoyed listening to this episode. Really look forward to getting into more into this in the syndicate episode. Absolutely. You know, you got to start putting a timer in front of me because apparently I don't know when to shut up. (laughs) You know what? It's all good. (laughs) It's all good. Anyways, thanks guys. Talk to you soon. See you later. This is a talkie and a goal produced by the Power of Map Podcast. Until next time.